Hi, and welcome to Showcast, a brand new podcast from Notch, where I discuss real-time production workflows with the industry's most innovative creatives. In this episode, we explore the unknown waters of extended reality. Today, Meptic co-founders Nick Rivero and Sarah Limebar discuss the future of set design. Working with close friend and music video director El Ginter, Nick and Sarah created an immersive 3D set for a world beyond. The video tells a story in which singer Fleury ventures across time and space. Behind the scenes is an equally adventurous story. Determined to find an alternative to the traditional blue screen, Sarah and Nick explore real-time set design in Notch. Using an LED backdrop as their canvas, Meptic created captivating underwater and galactic scenescapes which were affected live using Fleury's positional data. So, join us as we talk about real-time workflows, advancing technologies and the tribulations of naming a company. I'm Kat Kemsley and this is The Notch Showcast. Hi Sarah, hi Nick. Hey Kat. Hello. It's awesome to have you on the line. Before we go into a deep dive on the project Flurry, I just want to ask you a couple of questions about yourselves and where you started out. So can you remember your first gig or perhaps an early project that really affected your trajectory? Yeah, that's a tough one. I remember, I mean, one of my first events was, I think, three days out of college. I had joined with this company and we were doing an event. I mean, right after it was like a few days after Christmas and it was a live production. And so I just kind of got thrown into the live production world. It was like, I got this job with this company doing these productions and just kind of went for it. And my college background was a little bit different. So it was kind of just thrown into a load in and a show and just going and setting things up with, you know, I think I was 22 at the time. So it's just kind of like, okay, and go. (laughs) So it was, it was fun, crazy. I mean, it's, it's changed the career ever since, you know, my career path has been in that world and loving that world of live events uh, ever since I kind of got thrown into that. I think it immediately made me just realize how much I like the, the live aspect is you get that one chance to get it right. Um, and I think that's the really thrilling part that I kind of learned early on is you would do these shows and you were just so nervous. I remember at that age, I was just like, oh my gosh, am I going to, and now you just kind of, here we are, you know, almost 15 years later. Amazing. And, uh, Sarah, is that an early project that you remember that, or that really sticks out for you? Um, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I got my start initially, I was working at a TV station. Um, so I was running camera and doing graphics for local news. And that was, that was really exciting to me because I love just the immediacy of the moment. Like you had one shot to get, get everything right. You know, you had to get your camera shot perfectly. You had to make sure the graphics were there on time. Um, and there's just something kind of thrilling about that moment. So that is kind of what gave me the itch to want to keep continuing in live spaces. And you're both co-founders of Meptic. Could you tell me uh, what led you to founding Meptic? Um, Well, at the time, I had just graduated um, from grad school with motion graphics, and I had been freelancing, um, doing motion design, but also in a live capacity because I had 
my background was in live events and I was always just um, interested in taking graphics into live spaces. And so I was doing a lot of freelance projection mapping for corporate events, especially. Um, and then Nick was touring at the time. Yeah. I'd been on tour for quite a few years doing uh, video directing and the technical engineering of, of tours. So as time kind of went on and we were, Sarah and I were dating and then eventually got married. We both settled in Atlanta here in the U S and we just kind of had this idea of, of starting something together. I mean, with Sarah's creative and live event background, my technical and live event background, we had started just freelancing on projects together. Um, and it only took us probably about six months after we were married. We just said, you know, Hey, let's, let's do this. Let's start Meptic. And we put all that together. And then here we are years later. Yeah. We both wanted to start doing more freelance work um, together and just using our different skills to kind of work on building something unique and fun. And it's just kind of grown. We've, we brought freelancers on early on to kind of help us with projects. And then it's kind of grown to a team now and, um, just try to work on as many fun things as we can. And what was your first freelance gig you guys did together? Good question. <laughs> Actually, I feel like one of the early ones we did, we projection mapped this cube yeah. um, for PricewaterhouseCoopers. Uh, they had like this lobby healthcare thing. And we projection mapped this cube that sat there and told all these different health statistics I think that was a yeah that was one of the big one. yeah big first ones. And where did the name Meptic come from? <laughs> should we should we tell the actual story? <laughs> so, yeah, so we we need to come up with like a more badass version. A catchier, <laughs> yeah. It basically so, just started as an inside joke. Um, we used to just kind of like you know poke each other and say merk. Which kind of turned into turned a, into a map. map. <laughs> and it's just when you're married, you come up with these things. And so Sarah would poke me or I'd poke her and we'd say map. And so we were sitting there trying to name the company. And I can now say this, that naming a company is one of the hardest things to do. And I used to joke naming a company is harder than naming a kid. Well, now that we have a kid, I can say that's true. <laughs> it was easier to yeah. name our kid than to name the company. And so with naming, with naming this, we were sitting there one day just trying to come up with these names and brainstorm and throw around ideas and whatnot. And I... Um, prodded each other. Yeah, we were kind of prodding each other. And <laughs> Sarah wanted to name the company something with the word triptych like an art piece in threes. So something to that nature. Well, anything with a common word is, is you can guess is taken. So with the word triptych, we kind of sat there and sat there. And then one day I just said to her, what if we name the company Meptic? And I thought that that was the most ridiculous name you could name a company. And I told her, I'm giving you a week and if we can't come up with a better name in a week, we're registering the name Meptic. <laughs> Here we are five yeah, years later. 
Well, you know, it sounds really, it sounds legit now. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, no, there's not some cool story behind it. It's, Benny, <laughs> we yeah, literally Benny couldn't have, think of anything better. It's, it's, <laughs> but now it's taken on a whole life of its own. And I think we, at first it felt really ridiculous, but now, you know, it's really, now that the, we have a team and the mm. work we're doing, it has a whole nother, just, I think just kind of sub meaning to us of just the things we're doing and, in the space we're in, there's all sorts of crazy, funky names of companies. So I think we fit right in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The, the body of work says it all. So it's you've definitely become a, a really well-known name in the industry. Um, and yeah, it's really fun to know that's where it came from. And what type of gigs do you find you're getting now at Meptic? <laughs> oh, a lot of interesting ones. We... To Sarah's point, we started a lot with projection mapping because that was in particular a lot of Sarah's original background was was that workflow of creating content for map 3D, 3D objects and then the mapping of it. So we started a lot with that and we still do a bit of projection mapping. We just did a large building about a month ago. Um, but now we've really moved into the space of doing, as we kind of say, the the unique and challenging things we really enjoy those those projects where we can really combine unique creative opportunities with technical ideas and new things whether it's building out an entire space uh, all the way to mapping a building just things that kind of pose unique challenges pose unique creative opportunities i think that's just what we all really kind of uh, enjoy. So let's uh, jump into the incredible music video you made by the artist Fleury, um, and it's called A World Beyond, released at this point about three months ago. Uh, I guess, how long ago did you guys start working on it? It was actually around this time last year, um, really end of October into November is when we started planning and working on it. And we shot the music video in December. There was always an idea. The director, uh, Elle, she's a good friend of Sarah and I. And I'd kind of been telling Sarah and her that you all should really collaborate on something for, I guess, almost about two years at that point. Sarah kind of took the reins and they launched into it. Amazing. And that's Elle Ginter. Yes. Yeah. Did Elle come to you with a brief? Yeah, so she and Flurry had been talking and they had an idea of what the structure of the video was going to be, the storyline. Um, and then she had one particular section of the video that she kind of wanted to leave up to us, this more futuristic technical part. Um, the whole story kind of follows her and she's, um, Flurry is in the video interacting with a tap dancer who represents time and time kind of takes her on this journey throughout and she visits different worlds in the early part of the video. And then whenever she gets to kind of this futuristic standpoint, everything kind of changes. Um, and so we worked on a, on a segment where she is standing in this kind of futuristic tunnel with these kind of bars behind her. Um, and we also worked on this kind of space underwater scene as well. Um, and then the last scene in the video where she's walking into this light room, um, and yeah, the, the, the creative behind that was driven by Elle and what she was thinking, but we also fleshed out a lot of it and brought a lot of our ideas to the table as far as building out the scenes, what they look like, um, how, they, how she interacted with them, 
a lot of the AR elements that surrounded her. And then, of course, just building up all the technical side of it as well. When it came to fleshing out the technical aspects for the scenes that you were creating, what was your vision there? We had been wanting to work on the idea of augmented extended reality for quite some time. And we had already done some tests of integrating into the film world and really just exploring uh, even less from the technological standpoint, what was possible, but more from the creative standpoint of, you know, how do we tell a story through this and visually what do we do with this? So we, we kind of already had that uh, under our feet a little bit. And then we kind of positioned that to L saying, hey, we could do this. And this is a, an idea we have. And so that really helped the visual and creative of what we were doing. We kind of worked them hand in hand together of what can the technical do and what can that allow the creative to do and kind of going back and forth. And so how would you describe XR to someone who's never heard of it before? Hmm. <laughs> uh, tough question. Um, <laughs> you know, I think it's everybody's hearing augmented reality, and I think it's combining augmented reality into physical and live spaces. So I think being able to use the same approaches and tools and technologies of, of what people have seen in AR and see on their, their phones and things like that, but combining it into a larger live event space. And uh, you mentioned some experiments that you'd done earlier in the year. Uh, tell me a bit about the XR workflow and the XR studio that you're experimenting before this music video project. Uh, backing up quite some time ago, uh, I guess we're going almost on three years, two years ago, we did some work with a studio in town that owns a a cinema robot. So it's a robotic arm with uh, a high-speed camera on the end of it. And we it was kind of pretty funny is I had coffee with a guy from their studio one day and we have this coffee and he's like, oh, we do film production, et cetera. And then at the very end, we, we, it's, we almost get up to leave. He goes, oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you we have this robot. And I was like, hold on. <laughs> and so we ended up going over there and basically building... Uh, a bridge between Notch and the robot and touch designer. So we actually went over there a few times and just kind of started parsing out how does the robot speak, talk, all this stuff, because uh, there wasn't kind of a standard integration at that point in time. So we decided a few months later that we sh would kind of experiment and shoot a short piece. So we kind of shot more of a camera test. We had some stunt performers that had worked on a lot of the Marvel movies around here come in and we kind of shot a piece just starting to hone the idea, the workflow, the what we could do, et cetera, et cetera. And we shot just kind of a very short little piece, sort of unscripted and um, ran some tests on that. And that was kind of the first big implementation of like, hey, this is a thing that we can actually use this, this can be used in this workflow. And then that was what really gave us the confidence moving forward into this flurry piece. And from your learnings from that experiment, what did you apply in the in Flurry's music video? I mean, from a notch perspective, we learned a ton about what that looked like creating the world, how we um, basically parent the camera, the camera and notch to the real life camera. Um, what types of environments work in that situation? What don't? Um, I mean, it was really, it was really a lot about what does the world look like? How can we make it more believable? And then from the technical standpoint, 
what what's the correct workflow to get the data from the camera into Notch and then vice versa. Tell me a bit about your design process. How did you, where did you start? Well, with Fleur, we started um, with a lot of storyboarding. Um, we basically sketched out what we thought um, a good sequence would be for the scenes, starting with basically where she jumps from in the previously shot scenes that were live action into this more um, digital environment. And so we came up with storyboarding. Um, we did some rough looks and then we met with Elle and we just spent a whole day with her just kind of brainstorming and um, refining a lot of our ideas into what it ended up being. And then from there, we just spent about a month, maybe a little longer than that, really fleshing out the scenes. Um, and then when it came to being on site, we also did quite a bit of tweaking as well to make sure that everything was looking really believable. What kind of elements did you find you were tweaking once you're on set? Um, it varied. I mean, some of it was, you know, even just lighting in the scene, um, making that feel like it was a little more um, of an environment that matched kind of what was going on. We also had external lights in the room as well that were tied into Notch. So the content would flash across the external lights and then light flurry in the room, which made her feel like she was a little more in the environment. Um, a lot of the overlying AR elements we had, like we had a, um, bubbles and particles and things like that. We, we tweaked some of that to make that feel like it was more all around her, um, which is kind of, you kind of have to see what the shot looks like before you really can refine some of that. Um, so a lot of that kind of had to take place on site. And the scenic elements you created, they were being affected by flurry. Is that right? Yeah, we had some scenes uh, that was being affected by her movements and things like that. Why did you feel it was important for this project to have interactive elements in it? Especially in in, in, in virtual environment, and augmented environment, it's that extra layer that adds that engagement of what the talent, what the performer is doing into that scene. I think it just really helps with making the storytelling more engaging and more, I would say, believable. And what was uh, what was Fleury's reaction? I think on set, she was just like, this is so cool. This is, it's just incredible. I mean, you know, what this technology is doing is we're replacing uh, the green screen environment. And the thing is for somebody, uh, an artist like this, they're not, they're not a trained actor that spends every day in a green screen studio looking at a wall with somebody saying, okay, so you're on the moon and that's believable. And I think when you're in an environment where you can see the content behind you, we actually had some elements of uh, like low-lying fog in one of the scenes. It builds a believable environment that somebody can step in and they feel they're in that space and in that world. So it makes it really engaging when you're just standing in the, you know, it's a dark room, you have the visuals on screen, you, you believe it when you see it. Yes, yeah, so really beneficial for someone who's a non-actor and having to be in a completely, um, I guess, you know, imaginary environment. Yeah. Uh, so why was it important for this production to use real-time graphics? I think for us, I mean, it was a lot of pushing the boundaries of what we had done in the past and trying to take what we've already had. I mean, creating content for these environments and then using it in a new way. So we we had been wanting to collaborate with Elle for a long time. And when she gave us this opportunity, we were like, okay, there's this technology. We've been experimenting with it. We feel like this could be a great fit. 
to create a completely new environment for your artist to be in, in this video. And to add to that, we, we have this saying here that whenever we work with technology, the first thing we ask ourselves is, okay, what can that do? And we try to explore all the possibilities. But then the second question we ask is what else? So what else could we do if we took our experience with Notch and put that into a different world or into a different place? You know, what if we put Notch into a film world? What is the what else question? And we're always asking ourselves that uh, pretty continually. And so it was just kind of a culmination of all of that, of the time we spent in Notch, um, the opportunity to work with music video director L and just kind of saying, okay, if we put all that together, what's the what else question? Tell me a little bit about your workflow and how you combine the technical and the creative aspects of it. Um, yeah. So typically when we start a project, we usually look at the brief or what the idea is and we start there. Um, and then we'll typically have like a brainstorming meeting where we'll talk about style. We'll come up with ideas for what we want to do. And then from there, we'll kind of break off and we'll start either making style frames or rough previs, depending on what the needs of the project are. And then from there, we'll take that more into building out the structure of what the project is going to be. So that could be, if we're using Notch, building out the scene, starting to test it. And then if there's interactive elements, building those in as well, um, continuing testing until eventually we show up on site typically with what we're um, doing and then of course making sure everything's working at that point yeah and to add to that what we've learned a lot in working in real time is that the workflow is a little bit uh, different obviously but traditionally with rendered content what you do is you come up with an idea you start creating it you render it you make changes and then you render again and then you loop that process of change render with real time, what we're doing is we come up with an idea, we start creating, we test, but then what we spend a lot of time doing is sort of refinement, but what we say is a lot of optimization. So when we're doing projects in real time, we put a big emphasis on that optimizing piece, which is, is paramount to making sure that this is performant, that it can run well and also look good. You know, so that's a a very learned balance, I would say, but it has kind of almost taken the place of the render step, right? Is granted it's, it's taking us less time, but it's still a process that we've kind of offset in time of now going, okay, this looks good, but can it work well? And especially with the flurry piece, there was the one scene, the kind of space scene. We actually modeled that a bit after the Tesseract from interstellar was kind of the, the inspiration for that scene. And trying, obviously, if you kind of remember or watch the film, trying to rebuild that, but then say, well, now it needs to run at, you know, 60 FPS in almost 4K. What do we need to change or do or alter or, you know, so that's kind of our new process now. We're seeing more and more is that, uh, you know, for people just getting into real-time optimization, I think is such a big step of that learning process of making something cool versus something that works well. And how much time do you reckon you saved in the post-production process by, by, with this workflow? I mean, just rendering alone, 
the amount of time we've saved is uh, I mean, countless hours. <laughs> it's hard <laughs> to quantify, I'm sure. But then it also, I mean, without this type of workflow, it wouldn't allow us to do half the projects that we do because most of our projects are taking place in real time now because there's an interactive element to most of them. So the typical pre-rendered stuff, we still do that from time to time. But so we now, because we have the tools available, we try to add layers of interactivity in real time into our projects that we might not have done otherwise if it was a different project um, with these tools not available. So like what Nick was saying earlier, um, we try to add like extra elements, for example, to something that Flory could interact with just because we have the option to, which helps sell these projects and makes just elevates them a little bit more. And do you feel there's a growing demand? Absolutely. Most of our, most of our clients now want something that is interactive in real time. Yeah. And we've been able to go to so many of our clients and we don't necessarily say, Hey, uh, we're going to use this, this notch stuff. What we say is, Hey, what if we could, uh, do this and we are able to kind of come at it with a new idea and bring whatever it is, whether it's multi-touch or interactive or AR or changing of colors on the fly, whatever the thing is, we're now able to introduce that. Um, it's kind of more of a baseline, I would say, is we can just come into the equation knowing that these are possibilities now. And are there any specific or special considerations you have to take into account when um when creating an interactive production? I think the main thing is that, you know, with, with real time, I think everybody thinks, let me phrase that. I think a lot of clients think real time means real time changes. <laughs> and so it's about going into the production with an idea of control changes. It's, what are the variables? What are the um, the pieces that that need to have those variables? You know, is it touch? Is it color? Uh, we have one one project where the client we gave the client the ability to change all of the color parameters, which basically means that now no color has to be baked in, so that when we get on site, we can actually dial in the colors perfectly based on broadcast. So the red looks the right red with lighting and things like that. So it's just about knowing that and setting that expectation. I think of controlled changes versus infinite changes. Yeah. Working with clients, it's always about managing expectations, but now it's just managing their expectations um, in a different way. So there's a new set of limitations or less limitations in some ways. It's just kind of steering them in the correct way so they understand what we're doing and what our workflow is. For A World Beyond, what elements were essential to adjust live? You know, which elements were essential to be adjusted live on set? Definitely color. I mean, that, that was one of the biggest ones we knew is color. Some of the mood of the environment, there were some elements that Josh had kind of prepared some of the background pieces. Um, and I think just those were kind of the main things. And then there was some placement of certain pieces. So there was um, like some various, like the one scene, excuse me, the underwater scene with kind of the bubbles, there was some changes to like 
the scale size position of some of those bubbles in terms of like how they positioned around her on camera. But that being said, though, even though we do have the option to tweak on site, we try not to as much as possible. The more prepared we can go into an event, the easier everybody's lives are once we get there. And there were a couple of different production teams that put this video together because you shot in various locations for your for your team for the interactive scenes um who was involved in that yeah i mean the the whole meptic team was involved we had some support uh from a bunch of friends of ours one was streamline productions they're a huge partner of ours on so many projects and they supply led screens so they came in and did the it was a 2.6 millimeter uh, LED screen, probably about, I think it was about 12 meters wide curved. So decently large screen that they brought in. Um, we had great help from our friends at Visional who uh, supplied us with the black track system um, as they have in the past many times. Um, and then we shot the whole thing at, um, Evolve in Nashville. It was shot at their studio and using kind of their core film team. And what was the reaction from the crew uh, and when they walked onto set and saw the interactive wall in action? Um, I think everybody was really excited. Uh, it's especially for the film crew. Um, it wasn't something that they had seen before, so it was pretty cool for them to be able to move their physical camera around and see the whole world react to that. Um, I mean, it was like they were, you know, in sort of a live set environment, only it was all digital. A lot of the film guys had worked with LED screens before, but they'd never seen an LED screen with real-time content, real-time visuals on it. So I think that was just, that alone was kind of blowing people's minds. It's like, hold on, hold on. Everything we're seeing on that screen is being rendered when you hit the space bar. Hold on a second. I think that caught so many people's attention just over and over. And were there any requirements of your crew and from the filming location that might be different from a traditional music video shoot? Um, Aside from extra time, maybe to set up the, I mean, we had the tracking system going, you know, we had to make sure we had time to calibrate the camera and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we needed a little extra time on the front end before we could start shooting. But outside of that, it was pretty standard. And with the final video, did it come out as you had imagined? Yeah, it did. I think the scenes, um, the, the great thing about working with XR and AR is you can see what the shots look like right then and there on set. So there, there is no post really that happens outside of maybe some basic color grading. So Everything looked pretty similar to what we walked away with. Um, Of course, how they chose to edit it, you know, that can change. But, I mean, it was essentially what we had shot, which was really cool. For anyone thinking of making an XR or interactive video, what advice could you give them? I think a bit of it is just kind of going for it. You just got to kind of jump in somewhere. And I think that's kind of what happened with us is you don't always have all the answers or all the solutions. You just kind of have to go for it. You start testing and you start playing and you just start building one thing into another. And, you know, with every project, I think 
you always look back and you're always like, oh, we could have done this better. We could have done that. But in the end, uh, you did it. You know, and I think that's the biggest challenge is just doing it a lot of times. It's just getting out there and actually just hitting the ground running, actually doing the thing. And especially with new ideas and new creative ideas like this, it takes a lot for the planets to align, to get to get all the people on a new idea bought in, the right people in the right place at the right time. Uh, like I said, it, it was a two-year f- discussion from let's do something to this is shot and in the can. So I think that would be the biggest thing I always say is, is just do it and go for it. Seems like quite a literal description with the planets aligning, uh, considering <laughs> your scenes. Yeah. <laughs> so is there anyone you guys would like to spotlight um, on this project? Um, I would say our interactive designer, Josh, uh, he did a bulk of the notch work on this and um, he really dialed in a lot of the interactive elements. Yeah. And Jordan, our motion designer, really, I mean, I mean, literally pencil sketched out all the scenes and a lot of the vision for, you know, what the scenes would look like. And it was really them putting all that together that uh, really made it happen. And finally, what excites you about the direction that the industry is going in? I feel like there's just so many possibilities with what's coming next. Um, You just kind of see new advances in technology and real time and all these things unfolding before you, especially the potential of XR and AR. It's really cool and it's exciting for us as we're looking at what we can do with this technology and pushing it forward. The the tools are getting so incredible. What we're able to do with computers these days is just mind-blowing that I think it's really challenging the essence of what you're doing is it's really questioning good ideas. And I think that's, that's the really challenging thing right now is we're actually having to kind of go back to the root of it all and actually come up with a really good idea. And I think people are really being challenged by that just because it's just an, it's like Sarah said, it's an interesting time right now of just so many possibilities. Well, this time has gone really quickly. Uh, It's been amazing hearing about how you guys created a world beyond and it's been really great to get behind the scenes of your production workflow and find out a bit more about um xr production and filmmaking thanks for having us thank you so much for having us thank you so much for stay and for your time yeah glad we could do it and uh looking forward to seeing what you guys come up with next you can watch a world beyond by flurry now it's out on youtube you can also check out Meptic's work by heading over to their website, meptic.com, or by following them on Instagram and Facebook at Meptic. To read this interview and check out images, videos, and the node graphs that made it happen, head over to the Notch website, notch.one. Let us know what you thought of today's episode over Twitter at NotchVFX. If there are any burning questions you'd like to ask about real-time workflows, then hit me up, hashtag showcast. You can get a daily update of incredible projects made with Notch over Instagram by following Notch for Effects or show us something awesome you've made using the hashtag MadeWithNotch. Next week, we'll be talking to freelance designer and technical director Mike Wilson on his design for Block9's new stage, Icon. Thanks for listening. Catch you there.